Turning from our break, I want to recap a little bit of where we've been so far. So this is a quick review of the things that we've already been talking about, just in case you fell asleep when we made these points. So our work is an expression of our God-imaging humanity. We're made in God's image, and our work is a really important part of that. Our work is a service to God as we fulfill God's purposes for all creation. Our work is a service to our neighbors as we provide goods and services for our neighbors and as we promote human flourishing. Our work is a means of building community on earth. Part of our task as image bearers is living in these interdependent relationships. Our work has been affected by the fall and by the curse. It's become toilsome and hard and frustrating at times. But our work has largely been redeemed by Christ, and it will be fully redeemed when he comes again. Our work is not just for this life, but it has the potential of lasting forever. And we will work in the new heaven and the new earth. And work is part of our growth in spirituality and God-likeness. And work is part of our worship to God. It's something we offer to him. So for this next section, I'd like to talk about four ways that God works in the world. So we, as image bearers, are called to imitate our God, to look like him in the world. And that means that when we do work, we should strive to do work in the ways that God works. We have the honor of working in many of the same ways. Although it will be on a much more limited scale, obviously. But we get to do some of the same things that God has done. So the first way that God works in the world is God as creator. We've been talking a lot about creation this morning because it is so important to our faith in the way we see ourselves in the world. But when we see God working as a creator, we see him creating the earth, creating people, creating animals, creating beautiful trees and mountains and everything we see and experience around us. It's all been created by God. And that creativity is in God's very nature. He's an inventor. He creates things that are beautiful and things that are useful. And so we join God in that sort of work when we invent or build or create artwork or create anything, really. The second way that God works in the world is as a sustainer. God is sustainer. God is always working to sustain everything. Colossians 1 verse 17 says, He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Hebrews 1.3 says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. These passages give me the sense that if God were ever to cease his sustaining work in the world, that everything we know would vanish instantly. Nothing would exist without God's constant sustaining work. We don't exist without him working to sustain us. The last few chapters of the book of Job show God confronting Job. Job has the impudence to challenge God, to explain himself. And so God responds to him by asking questions like, Have you commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? 
Have you entered the storehouses of snow which I have reserved? Do you feed the ravens or tell the wild donkeys where to go? Excuse me, guys. So in Job, we get this picture of God conducting a vast orchestra in which every plant and animal and every natural phenomenon has its role to play. And only God is big enough and wise enough and powerful enough to keep all of these things going in an orderly way. So we join God in this work when we care for and sustain others, when we do the work that helps other people keep going. And we join God in this work when, you, when we organize systems, when we manage companies, and when we help our part of the world run and function smoothly. We can work together with God, sustaining the systems that we're a part of. The next way that God works in the world is God as Redeemer. Now we see God as Redeemer most clearly in Jesus and in his work to save us from the due penalty of our sin and praise him for that. But God has always been a Redeemer. Even before Jesus of Nazareth walked on this earth, God was redeeming. God rescued the people out of Israel out of slavery. God healed people of diseases in the Old and the New Testament. That's why we call him the great physician. Psalm 147 says that God binds up the brokenhearted. God is even redeeming our emotional pain. The author Paul Marshall said this, The scope of redemption in Christ is the same as the scope of creation. That means that all of creation is being redeemed. All of creation is being brought back to right. And so my work in insurance was a small chance for me to participate as a redeemer. The insurance system that I was part of helped to make bad situations better. Like I said, insurance pays to rebuild your house if it burns down. Insurance also pays for a new car if you're in a devastating car accident. Insurance pays medical bills if you're injured. And the work that I did in insurance wasn't actually the work of going out and doing that for people, but the work I did helped that system run smoothly. So that was also a part of the sustaining work. But I got to be a part of an industry that is all about redeeming bad situations and making them better. So we get to join God in this redemptive work when we do the things that set bad things right when we work in medicine to heal and care for sick or injured people, when we work in the justice system to bring justice for people who have been wronged and to bring appropriate punishment for people who have done wrong. And we participate with God in this in any other way that we bring goodness and order into a bad situation. That's God's redemptive work. The final way that God works in the world that I want to talk about is God as consummator. Chelsea already talked about the doctrine of consummation as we talk about the direction that this whole history is going. We are aimed for an end that God has already planned for us, and it's going to be so exciting. So part of God's work is bringing things to their good conclusion. 
The Holy Spirit does this work in us when he sanctifies us. He's working in us to make us righteous, to make us more like God, and to prepare us for our eternal life with him. God also plans to do this through physical resurrection of his people. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 calls Jesus the first fruits of this consummating work, the first man to be resurrected in a new, imperishable body. And God plans to do that with all of his people one day. That's God consummating the proper conclusion of our human lives. But even more exciting than that is that God plans not only to resurrect people, but to resurrect the entire creation, everything. Revelation 21 and 22 describe the new heavens and the new earth, like Chelsea talked about. It's going to be like the one we know now in some ways, but in other ways unimaginably better. We're looking forward to a time when no more do we have to cry, no more do people die, when our work is good and untouched by sin. God's planned consummation for his creation is described in those chapters of Revelation, and I think it's really important to remember that we're not returning to the Garden of Eden. We're not going to go back to just eating the fruit and running around naked. The trajectory of our history is toward a city. Like Chelsea said, it's a city where people come and go and do business. We are moving toward an end of this age that is marked by work and craftsmanship and civilization. We're not going back to the garden. We're moving forward. And God is moving us forward. So we join God in that when we bring things to their proper conclusions. I think about that with, uh, with the work of educating children. We work to raise people up into the mature adults that we know they can be. And that's consummating work. So for a couple of minutes, I'd like you guys to turn to someone next to you and think about your intended career or what you're majoring in. And you don't have to have an answer for exactly what that is right now, obviously, but whatever you're thinking about as your career, I'd like you to answer the question, how do those careers participate with God in the ways that he works? So take just a couple of minutes for that. Okay. That worked better than I thought it would. Um, All right, so the next section we're going to talk about are the four M's of marketplace theology. The four M's, M as in memory. I have a really hard time thinking of a word that starts with the letter when I'm in that type of situation. Here's a funny story about that. Okay, I'll just tell it really quickly. I was trying to spell something, and the letter I was trying to say was N, and I used the word knuckles. It was the first thing. And I was like, oh, that's a K. Um, It was over the phone. It was a very bad first impression. Um, Okay, so... (laughs) Anyways, the four M's of marketplace theology. So this is from... It's kind of pulled from um, this guy, David Miller, wrote a book called God at Work. um, And he sort of presents these ideas. And so that's kind of where we got this inspiration Um, So it's all about the four M's of marketplace theology. Marketplace theology is kind of thinking about how does your faith intersect with your work? Where does your faith come in um, at your marketplace? And there's four M's that kind of talk about how you integrate your faith and your work. And the first one is mission. 
So the first M is mission. Um, I think a myth is that my job is my mission field and it's nothing else. It's just where I make disciples. That's the only thing that makes it good. Um, And that's not true. The truth is that your work is a mission in and of itself and it's good in and of itself. However, you can't ignore that it's an incredible place to meet people and to share the gospel. It is. I mean, you guys are, um, you hear all the time about how college is just this, I mean, once in a lifetime opportunity to talk to people about Jesus. And in a lot of ways it is, but you don't completely lose that chance just because you're at a workplace. And there's opportunities to have those conversations. Sometimes it may look different or it may not be as frequent, but it's still there and work provides that for you. Um, your business can be, you can use the proceeds of your business to support mission. Like I'd said, um, a lot of people who graduate from focus and go get jobs, turn around and support focus because that's, you know, I have a job now, but I still want to be invested in the vision of what you guys are doing. My husband and I have made that. That's really important to us to invest in the vision of multiple ministries because we have salaries and that's what, that's part of why we're working. It's not the only reason I'm working. But it is part of it. I want to work so I can support the mission of other organizations because ultimately it's the same mission. It's to make and mature disciples and to advance the kingdom. Um, your business, sometimes business is a platform for mission, expanding to new countries, opening new businesses, bringing more people into an, maybe an environment where, you know, if you center your workplace around it's okay to talk about Jesus. The more people that you bring into that workplace may be exposed to hearing about Jesus. You can use your business as a mission place. And business, your business is part of the mission. Um, it's not all of it, but it's part of it. It's part of the mission of God. Your work, like we've said you know, over and over, is part of God's redemptive work here on earth. And like how Grant had to, the little story I read from Grant, he had to see how was his job fulfilling any part of the mission of God. Um, when I'm sitting at my office and I'm filling out a report for some like grant or donation we got, it's so boring and it's just numbers, but it's so that we can get that grant again so that I can be on this campus so that I can continue helping students to get to graduation. It all ties in and you have to see how is my business a part of the mission of God. The second M is mysticism. Or spirituality. You can just write spirituality, but mysticism starts with an M. Um, so and this, what this means is that your work is, it can be an arena of spiritual growth, again, in and of itself. Your spiritual development can take place while you're at work, and your work can deepen your life with God, and it can deepen your walk with God. Um, I have learned, oh my gosh, you guys, I have learned so much about God through my work. I've seen him work in a million ways. I've built a deeper intimacy with God by struggling through the stress and anxiety that came with transitioning into the workplace. I've developed a deeper trust in him. Um, it's stretched me and grown me in ways I, I don't think I would have experienced otherwise. Um, a lot of time, uh, a lot of times at my job, it's, I work with a lot of crisis situations and you know, I work with high school students who are like sometimes very emotionally unstable or their housing situation is unstable or they have been hurt or abused in some way and they come to me and they are like you know dumping all this information on me and I'm kind of like in my head literally like God 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 like I need you to tell me what to do because I don't know what to say like I have to say something and um 
I could, I mean, please, if you're interested, come talk to me. I would love to tell you guys specific situations where I have seen God save kids' lives, provide homes, provide mentors, provide relationships, and I've gotten to see him work. And in, even in simple situations where I realized I made a mistake and I didn't know how it would be resolved, I've been able to experience God filling me with peace. That's something you'll experience no matter what job you have. When you're new at your work, you will have a moment where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired. I just made a mistake and they're going to fire me and I'm the worst and I don't deserve to have this job. Maybe if you're not like an anxious person, you won't, but um, you're not like me. <laughs> I'm like, I lost a pencil. I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> they're like, fire me. I resigned two weeks. <laughs> um, but you will. You guys are going to make mistakes and it's stressful and it feels like a lot of pressure. You're not a student anymore. You're in it and people expect you to do the job. But you get to experience God providing that peace for you and providing that perspective of like, look, you'll be okay. It's just a job. I'm still here. I'm working. You know, you're not alone in this. You lost a pencil. It's okay. (laughs) I'm just, that's never happened to me. Um, So, and it wouldn't be a good thing for us to have so much money that we never needed to work. And it wouldn't be a good thing for you to retire and have no work to do. I sometimes wish I could retire, but then I'm like, I'm 25. Like, I'm such a baby. But I just love being at home with nothing to do. And I would, that would not be good for me, right? That would not be good for anyone. That's not our ultimate goal, to work and work and work and then just, like, call it quits and live off of what we've made and have no continual work to do. That's not the end goal as disciples. The third M is morality or ethics. Work, your work can be an environment where you wrestle with issues of ethics, you know? We're called to follow the Ten Commandments. We're called to be like Christ. We have to look at the results and consequences of our decisions and decide, did I do the right thing? And do I need to do a better thing next time? It's not just what's gonna be easiest or quickest, it's really what is best. You know, we talk about all the time, we're not, we want God's best. We're not looking for just good enough. We wanna, we wanna do what's best. Um, and I think it's really challenging, at least when I was a college student, like I had it down to a science, what grades I needed to get, how many times I needed to actually be in class, how many projects I needed to actually do in order to get the grade that I wanted. Like it was terrifying how good I was at doing the bare minimum and I got a degree, right? <laughs> I still Google a lot cause I don't remember a lot from my degree, but, um, and when I told that, when I told that to Kelly, she was like, didn't really respond. I'm like, maybe it was just me that it was that kind of a student, but I don't think it is. It I was me too. Okay, I remember calculating like, okay, I can make a yeah, 73.8 right. and yes. still get an A in this So class. I'm going for the 73.8. <laughs> um, so I, you know, so a lot of people have that attitude about being a student and that will not fly in the workplace. That will get called out really quickly and they'll just fire you or they'll write you up or whatever your, you know, consequence is. But You have to develop an attitude that really decides, I'm going to be excellent at my work. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work with all of your heart as working for the Lord. It's not okay to be lazy people. It's not okay to be late to work and do the bare minimum until you can just get home and be lazy at home. I mean, that's not okay. Like, what are you going to go? You can't wait to get home and watch Netflix. Like, you're sitting down at a computer anyway right now. Just work. Like... (laughs) You know, I don't, I just don't really get it. But, um, and I remember when I first started working, there's a song that says everybody's working for the weekend. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> don't make me sing it, you guys. I'm just kidding. Um, 
And it's, and I remember I, one time I was sitting at my desk and I was like, that song is real to me now. Like, I can't wait for it to be the weekend so I can have two days where I don't have to do anything. How sad is that? I'm embarrassed to say that. But I still sometimes feel that way. I'm like, come on, I stay. I want to just stay home. I'm like, come on, dangerous driving conditions, please. You know, it's like terrible. Anyways, um, so yeah, we have to be ethical in how we work. We have to be excellent in how we work because we're doing it alongside God. You know, God's given you that opportunity. What a slap in the face. Oh, hey. Yeah. Oh, Colossians 3.23. I was so nervous about what you were going to ask me. <laughs> I was like, oh. Okay, so um, there are, I do want to make a point though. There are jobs that Christians should never do. I'm not going to list specific careers, but I'm going to list some descriptive factors that if you are finding yourself interviewing for a job and you're like, oh, walk away. So if it's forbidden, in, and this is, I know I'm being funny because that's just who I am. But um, this is serious, okay? So really, if it's forbidden in Scripture, not okay. If it debases human life, if it's taking advantage of another person, oppressing another person, if it debases the worker, if it puts you in a position where you are not honoring God with the work that you're doing, if it's not loving your neighbor, or if it abuses creation. And I know those are vague, kind of, and it may be hard to think, like, what job could I possibly end up that's doing those things? I guarantee you they're out there. Um, and those are that's something you think through. That's something you pray about. That's something you talk to people who are wiser than you to be like, this job is kind of maybe a gray area, and I don't know what to do. Yeah, wow, questions. Okay, another question. Um, so not going to give my personal opinion on Walmart. Um, if you know me, you know, I have one, but, um, I think that's, that's just, that's an example of what I'm saying, that there are some that are gray area and you have to just talk to someone about it and get advice and really just trust that God's going to kind of guide you. So is this a job I should take or not? Right. Um, I don't mean to say like you have a clear, you know, green light, do whatever job you want because God's good and he's going to love it. But there are definitely jobs you shouldn't do, so you have to be aware of that and know that there are boundaries to that. So I don't, I want to speak to that specifically. We can talk one-on-one. -on -one. But um, I think that's an example of a job you have to get some advice on before you do. And really just pray about. Okay, so the fourth M is meaning. Oh, turn the page. Meaning or theology, all right? Your work can help you deepen your understanding of God and his character. And this can start with the scripture. You know, you start with the, what do you know about God? What do you know about his character from scripture? And how can you apply that to the way that you work? How can you apply what scripture tells you about God to the attitude with which you work and the ethic with which you work? Or it can start with your life and the questions that you have. You know, as you guys transition to the workplace, like I said at the very beginning of this, you're going to find that these questions are very, you know, at the top of your priority list. They're going to come up. What is the value? Why am I doing what I do? How do I balance work and life? What does God think about this job I'm doing that might be oppressing someone in another country that I'll never meet? You know, these questions that are going to come up, and you can go to Scripture, and you can pray about that, and you can learn about God's character as you work through that. Um, this is a big part of our adult ministry at Denton North Church because most of our adult ministry is young adults, um, 
My husband's calling me. <laughs> I'm not going to answer. That'd be, I mean, obviously, but I'm not, never mind. Okay, so, um, you know, a big part of our adult ministry at Denton North, it's people who are doing, they're in this transition. And we had like, it was like half leadership group, half like support group for us in this place of life. And we just brought these questions and talked about it. And I really believe that it taught us a lot about God's character. A lot of what I've told you guys today are things that I've learned about God through thinking through this the past couple of years. It's ways I've experienced God. So your work can offer you a lot of meaning and it can really deepen your understanding of who God is. Um, yeah, that's it. So I'm no, that's I mean, not, we're not the end done. of the talk. <laughs> that's it for okay, reception. Those of you who are like, oh yeah, like they that's are so room, ready to go to lunch. No, 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 you no. You no. could have had to listen to Brandon do this again. Oh. So you're, I'm just kidding. I love it. <laughs> oh, don't make that sound. He's great. So I really appreciate Carol's question because our next activity is actually going to help you guys think through some of those gray area things. So I'm going to read a case study for you, and I really encourage you to jot down some notes about this story that I'm describing, because then we're going to take a few minutes to turn again to a partner next to you and discuss it. So here's the case study. Kate, a Christian, is studying social work, and she'll be graduating with her bachelor's degree this spring. She chose to major in social work because she loves working with people, and she sees this as a field where she can serve God by helping the disadvantaged people in her community. For the past three years of school, Kate has also worked retail at a clothing store to help pay for her expenses during school. She's impressed her managers with with her work ethic and customer service, and she's made friends with many of her coworkers. Kate has formed an especially close relationship with Linda, a coworker who is a single mom and close to Kate's age, and not a Christian. Kate has had a few conversations with Linda about her faith, and Linda has been very open with Kate about her doubts and her struggles. When Kate told her manager that she would be leaving her job soon to start her career in social work, her manager expressed how much everyone at the store appreciated Kate and her hard work. A few days later, the regional manager called Kate and gave her an exciting offer, a promotion to a full-time salaried managerial position with benefits at a store opening in a nearby city. The regional manager also told Kate that some of her coworkers, including Linda, would be moving to the new store. The offer is really tempting. The salary as a retail manager will be more than she can expect to earn as a social worker, at least in the first year or two. Taking the regional manager's offer will put Kate on track for future promotions in a large, successful company. Kate enjoys working with customers and other store employees and sees those relationships as valuable, especially her growing friendship with Linda. But Kate also has her doubts. Although she wouldn't say that God has called her specifically to social work, she believes that it's a good career where she can make a difference in people's lives. She's also spent the past four years studying for this career path, and her parents have helped her pay for school along the way. She thinks they will be disappointed if she chooses not to go into a career related to her major, and she also wonders if she'll feel like she's wasted her time in school. 
Kate is also concerned about the ethics of the products sold at her store. The clothing is mostly manufactured in Bangladesh and China, and she wonders if perhaps the clothing can be sold for such low prices because the workers making it aren't paid adequately. So for this case study, first, did you guys miss anything that you want me to go back and read again? Yvonne? That's a good question. So the retail, um, the regional manager's offer would be for the store opening after Kate's graduation. So she's not choosing to drop out of school to take this job. She can still graduate. And so the questions that I want you guys to talk about with someone next to you are printed in your packet. And at the end of this time, I'm going to take a vote to see who thinks Kate should take this job and who thinks Kate should um, try to pursue a degree in, or pursue a career in social work. So we're going to give you guys about 15 minutes. Let's do 13 minutes. When that clock up there says 12.30, we're going to come back. So this is not your break. You're going to go to lunch soon. This is to talk to someone next to you about these questions and this case study. All right. I know I only gave you 13 minutes to make a really important life decision for someone, but uh, that is not reflective of your real life. Okay, so who thinks Kate should accept this offer? A lot of hands. All right, who thinks Kate should turn it down? Slightly like, fewer. Who didn't vote? Some of you didn't vote. A bunch of you. A bunch of you. Come on. <laughs> so I hope that this case study shows you guys that these decisions can be really complicated. And there are a lot of different questions that we have to think through as we're making decisions about our work and our career. It's not always a black and white, straightforward thing that we know exactly what God would want us to do. And I hope that these conversations and our talk today really helps to prepare you guys for making those decisions. So Chelsea is going to do her conclusion. So in conclusion, um, God cares about our work, and that's what the Bible teaches us. The Bible clearly shows us that. There is no hierarchy of occupations um, with respect to pleasing God or doing the Lord's work. There's no spiritual hierarchy of jobs that you can have. There's no one that's more spiritual than the other. Um, we are liberated to put our souls into our daily work, whether it's paid or not. In our everyday work, we are actually serving God as well as our neighbors, and we are ministers of Jesus Christ in our everyday, day-in, day-out jobs. And the church is not a place we go. It's a people that we are a part of. And by and large, the church is in the marketplace Monday through Friday. It's not a place, a building that sits there on Sundays and is empty the rest of the week. It is in the, the workplace. The church is all around us. That's what we're a part of. And it's important that we have this theology of work and these ideas about it because it's, it really affects where we spend most of our time. We are ministers full-time working for Jesus, no matter what our job is. Jesus is our boss. And as Chelsea read from Colossians 3.23 before, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. You are serving the Lord Christ. We are also full-time ministers working with Jesus. We're co-creating 
sustaining, and helping others as God's image bearers. And we're working in Jesus, in communion with him. There's no arena of society so beyond hope that a Christian might not be called to serve there somehow. And what makes our work Christian is not the religious character of the work, but the fact that it is done with faith, hope, and love. The spiritual gifts that Paul says are the most important. Our works last. And Revelation says the deeds of Christians will follow them into the age to come. And that lasting work is not necessarily what we call spiritual work. Much of our manual and mental work will find its place in the renewed creation. I'd like to debunk one more myth that I think many college students believe. It's this. This is the only chance I have, so I have to make the right choice. We believe that myth about which school we'll attend, what we'll major in, which jobs we'll take, and which career path to follow. But the truth is, you will have many opportunities to change your mind. You can transfer to a different school. You can change your major. You can work at a job that's not related to what you majored in. You can go back to school later in life. You can change careers. Very few of the choices you're making today are really as permanent as they seem. So take a deep breath and let some of the pressure off. Sarah talked about God working through Rahab the prostitute. If God can work through someone who chose that for a job, God can work through you in whatever your career field is. Paul instructed slaves to work diligently for their masters, to honor God. If slaves can honor God in their work, then you can honor God in the work that you choose. So take some of the pressure off of those decisions. But I want to remind you of the most important decision that you can make. It's not what you'll major in or which job you'll take. The most important decision that you can make now is whether or not you will follow Jesus as your Lord and whether or not you'll work for his glory in whatever work you do. So I urge you to make that decision. That is the important one. So to end now, I'd like to pray over you guys. Dear God, who works to create, redeem, and sustain, thank you for the honor that we have of being called to work alongside you in our world as your image bearers. God, guide us and teach us to work in ways that consistently reflect your image. Help us to understand how our work in small ways fits into the big picture of what you're doing in our world. God, please transform our minds so that whether we work with our hands or with our minds, whether we work in our homes, in the church, or in the marketplace, whether our work is paid or unpaid, that we would work diligently and wholeheartedly, knowing that we are working for you and for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.